Welcome to Season 3. And this tradition unlike any other. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Season 3 of the Business Culture Podcast. It is awesome to have everyone back for our third season this interesting journey and we've kicked off this third season with a wonderful guest one that i've been trying to get on the podcast for quite some time and very happy to have the one and only jeff claus the ceo of st francis links join us for this first episode i'm not going to waste any more time a lot to share in this interview so let's get right into the nuts and bolts Jeff, it's it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. As I said, I've been wanting to have you on for for a long time, and it is an absolute treat of mine. You're someone who I've aspired to looked up looked up to since I got into this uh, into this business. And yeah, as I said, a real treat for me today to have you have you on the show. Like we always do in the beginning, and I think for those who have perhaps lived under a golfing rock for the last 15, 20 years, uh, we like to start off with giving our listeners some form of context around your journey it must be quite a question to answer for you given the illustrious career that you've had but i'd love to just pick out perhaps some parts that stick out in your memory maybe more so than others and and just get going with the executive summary of your uh, your career so far well since we only have an hour i guess it's going to be a one question interview <laughs> uh, listen, you know I'm proud of you, my friend, and 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 what you've accomplished. It's actually an honor to be to be with you doing this. Uh, I've looked forward to it, and uh, and to be selected to have a few minutes together, I think is great. Uh, let's let's skip the uh, skip the past so much and talk about South Africa. I got a I got a great upbringing in America. I worked for tremendous people along the way who who really did mentor me properly. Uh, from teaching the game to uh, running the business of golf to to hospitality and all that goes with it. But I came here for Fancourt. You know, I came here in 1991, 30 years ago last Wednesday, uh, for Fancourt. And uh, one month of the day after, after I arrived, it went into provisional liquidation. Hmm. Welcome to South Africa. <laughs> wow. How, how, did, how did that... Uh... And 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 what what happened from there? I mean, was it a was it quite a big shift then in terms of what had to be done? Was that the first real adversity that you'd faced? You know, in that capacity, uh, talk to us about how that kind of how you got through that. Well, adversity was probably the fact that everything I was promised, in terms of some some financial rewards and some goals for a three year contract, kind of fell by the wayside. But from opportunity and from 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 really getting on our bellies. It was a tremendous experience. I taught a few. Uh, I taught a few liquidators how to play better golf while we were in their capable hands, and we went from number seven to number three in the country in those polls in those days uh, while we were in liquidation. Yeah. Platters came in 1994. Uh, I met Dr. Platner in '93 when he came for the Bell's Cup, and I worked with that team for another three three and a half years after that. But uh, I think I think having come through those kind of days. Uh, probably helped ground me. Uh, it certainly made me aware of, of, of a lot of different things that I'd never had to deal with before, that's for sure. But in that period of time, I also fell into South Africa. So. Mm. I, I was just thinking as you were talking there that there would have been a lot of uncertainty in amongst the team when that kind of news would have come out, much like we've had a lot of uncertainty in our country over the last call it year and a half, two years now, I've kind of lost track of time, to be honest. But um, how, what was your approach to kind of keeping the team together, keeping people thinking about what is possible rather than, you know, the, the negative? What was your approach there? Because I think you've, you've always been an amazing proponent of galvanizing people to understand what's most important. And I think we agree on that being the, being the guest, being the customer. What was your approach to that? Well, it was, it was, that's a good question. It was, it was many different fronts in which, which I think I got after it. Um, first of all, we were able to host a golf tournament in liquidation, and then we secured a couple of more. So visibly we were better than people thought. Um, I also then adapted, well, the very first, geez, my very first Christmas, 
holiday. Um, there was no pay for the staff. Uh, it, it just happened. All of a sudden, where's the money? Where's where's everybody going to get it? And Dion van Heerden, I basically went to the bank and got as much cash as we could and sat on the brick wall outside the manor house and paid all the frontline staff cash. Um, everybody, just so people could go home with something. Hmm. And, and from there, uh, I think it became a mission to probably to get people to come to Fancourt, even though we were in a, uh, what on, on paper was liquidation. We knew we had something very special. So it was everything from training caddies every Friday uh, to taking housekeepers on golf carts onto the golf course so they could see what we had um, to working with the food and beverage staff. And I think that's really when I got my vision or whatever you want to call it that says, uh, uh, how are we going to make people feel good? How are we going to get them to come back? And, and it was probably those days at Fancourt that set that foundation for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it is the basis for everything I've ever done since. I've got to ask you now, thinking about the places that you've had custodianship over, do you only work at, at clubs that have a really nice driveway or was that just by a coincidence? <laughs> well, we planted those trees, at the, at those plain trees, you know, that leaves yeah. are everywhere in the fall. <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> thought about it at the time. <laughs> yeah, nice driveways are good. I, I think for me, it, it's, um, I always think it begins with a great golf course. Um, um, maybe that's, maybe that's a bonus. Um, but, but certainly when we opened Fancourt, we, we thought we had something different. Uh, we thought we had something special in that particular case, we went for grooming. Mm. Uh, we really tried to set the bar for, for, uh, conditioning. I mean, we used to hand clip the, the bunkers, uh, things like that. But, uh, I think it'd be, you know, if you're going to create an experience, you, you certainly got to have some anchors. You've got to have some some fundamentals that, that set you apart. And I've always believed that wherever I go, that golf course has got to be the, the anchor tip. Mm. I think you've I think you've had a lot to do with uh, that driveway and, and, and the, the small details being so prolific as as a value proposition in the experience. But I, w I wanted to pick your brain on that because I think you've always mastered the art of creating anticipation for people coming to a destination. You know, it's whether it's in how you conduct yourself in a video, whether it's um, whether the, when the people are actually, you know, the communication that happens before they get to the, the property. You've always been a, a master of that. Is that something which has always been natural to you? Have you enjoyed the, the, the communication based aspects of your work or is it something that you've worked on over, over time? Um, I think without it, we probably wouldn't be anywhere nearly as good as we are. Um, let's let's fast forward past Missoula and uh, and come here. I mean, to come to the Eastern Cape after I'd spent half my career in South Africa telling people not to drive past Nice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now no, I'm saying now I'm saying, look, you got to carry on. There's a reason. Um, um, but but I, I I think that that that. Everywhere I've gone, it, there's there's always been challenge, and and you know whether it's a new facility, which I prefer. I mean, my my favorite boss, Charlie Epps, used to say, "Either be first or follow somebody who ended mm -hmm. up." Um, I'd rather be first, yeah, quite frankly. And it helps us mold. It helps us mold the 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 the, the picture a little bit more. Mm. Coming here um, to St. Francis, we had a different set of challenges. So. You know, I think the concept of of creating something special had to come the minute we opened the door, and and that was a mindset. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be cliche about it, but there's you know, Simon Sinek still sticks out for me. You know, we all know how we do things and what we do, but but a lot of you're not gonna get the buy-in until you find out the why. Mm. You know, even as kids, we we were always told to do it. Why? Because I told you to. Well, I wasn't too into it then, if that was the case. But if you told me I couldn't go play golf because your brother and sister can look after you, well, heck, I wanted to go play golf. Mm -hmm. And and now here, our why is really quite simple. Um, you know, this is a this is an investment uh, development. It's about it's about owning property. It's about lifestyle. It's about raising children. It's about retiring. And so, rule number one is everybody who comes through the gate is potential. A potential investor, a potential life lifetime person, and and that thought goes right through to my waitress. 
It goes right through to the chef. It goes right through to the guy who's cutting the cups. Uh, it certainly goes through the only outsourced business we have, which is our security. But it has to be there at the front gate as well. But Jeff, I, I cannot agree with that anymore in the sense that whether you are selling property or you're selling membership or you know just creating a longer-term customer, you've got to be conscious of that in every touch point. And I think that's been part of your success in your career is that you've always... You've always understood the impact of every every touch point, every engagement, and it's never been taken for granted. And I think that's the way you explain that is just you know typifies that so well. I, I want to jump between time again and look at you know you you had the experience of Fancourt, you've had the experience of Pizzula, you've had the experience of St Francis Links. I think three relatively different types of challenges or properties. C- could you? I mean, you've already started to contrast some of some of the challenges there, but you know. I suppose getting a hole in one on a par four at Pizzula must have helped things regardless of the challenge. Um, what, what, just speak to me about the, the, the differences there and how that progr- you know, the progression came and why it came from, from fan court to, to, to the next chapter. Um, interesting. Um, the move from fan court uh, actually is to the one place we haven't talked about. Mm. I read a Nicholas signature in America called The Hills of Lakeway. When I left, we were number two in Texas. Since then, they built a lot of great golf courses and it slipped a bit. But uh, um, I also have a wife who is who is my teammate and we grew together while well, she worked for me. And up to 1997, I now work for her in 2024. <laughs> um, uh, but our move from Fancourt was a move to initially to Samoa, mm. uh, which was going to be the first Nicholas Signature golf course. And we were going as a team. And when we went to Pizzula, we went as a team and we came here as a team. Uh, it took Mike Wiley a while to figure that out after I negotiated <laughs> my contract and then said, let's talk about Liesl. <laughs> but, but we have been a team ever since uh, in, in work and, and outside of work. And, and uh, I've completely forgotten your point. because No, I, actually, I'm glad you stopped there because I, I wanted to unpack that notion a little bit further. You know, there's always been this talk around um, – you know, you mustn't work, mix work with play, and you know, they keep keep those sort of jobs uh, uh, separate. But but you've been a great example yourself, and Liesl have been a great example of how you you can work together and make make something even better. Is that the result of of your your skill sets being somewhat different mm, between yourself exactly. and Liesl? I would say exactly. Um, I used to make the promises and then ask her to see it through. <laughs> <laughs> I had the I had the big picture and she pulled off the details. So Sounds like the perfect team. <laughs> no, I, I think that um, she's very much down the line, and then the role she plays here is is not an envied role. Um, sometimes it's in controversy because it's upholding the protocols of our club and our estate and our building and all those things that she's advanced on to now. Mm. Where I'm more of a cheerleader, you know, I'm I'm really trying to play the role of motivator. Uh, I'm a big believer that um, you know like i said we're here to take care of people's quality time or we're here to build a home for somebody that they want to stay in there for their life or we're here to have create ambassadors or we're here to just get you to come back again Hmm. and and uh so in our particular case liesel um i mean right now she's not we're not just involved with with the estate or the club we're involved with the whole community Mm. Uh, she heads up the disaster volunteer group. We've had our share here with fire and flood and uh, otherwise. But um, uh, as it goes, I think the two of us balance. And, I, and this goes beyond your wife. I mean, I'm lucky. There's a few husband and wife teams in this country that you can talk about. Mm. Uh, the Stones, the James, the you know, you can name them. And they're all friends. But in our particular case, um, it's, it's beyond Liesl. She just happens to be a part of my team. And, and when we talk about team, we are effectively five people here running a business on behalf of 530 members uh, overseen by a board of directors who allows us to run the business, mm. period. It's, uh, you, you've linked it so nicely to the, to the, to the most recent episode with, with Chris there in terms of, I guess, the strength of having a, a board that understands that executive authority must lie within the people, within the experts, which are, which are yourselves. So uh, thank you for that link. I um I, I wanted to also just unpack perhaps the fact that you've had the the pleasure or the benefit of seeing over a few decades now how perhaps members and 
customers for that matter have changed or evolved. I want to know from your <clears throat> perspective, what has changed, if anything, and what has stayed the same when it comes to the experience, when it comes to what people are looking for? Is there anything that you can look at in both senses, what has changed and what has stayed the same? Um, I recently listened to an interview from, from Peter Berman, who's been uh, nominated as professional year along with the likes of Chris and, and three others. Um, he actually runs an on-course, off-course business. So he sees, he sees non-members. He sees the casual golfer or the, uh, as he puts it, the, the, the blue sheen and blue jean and t-shirt guy. <laughs> and, and I guess the biggest change is, or the biggest thing that's happened in my 40 odd years is we've gone from traditions of tradition, uh, to, to thinking way outside the box and doing things that, that uh, are going to attract a lot more people to the game. Uh, I think sadly, and I'm going to say this right up front, um, it's a very expensive game in this country. Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't, we can, we can, we can put as many little covers over it as we like, but the cost of playing golf, the cost of running golf, the cost of maintaining a golf course. I just bought uh, 30 new golf carts for our club. And you can buy a used Volkswagen for the same price mm. and get air conditioning and, and, and music. Um, it's expensive. So we can't fool ourselves by thinking that it's going to be for everybody. But we can certainly make it available to everybody at an entry level mm. and see where it goes from there. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest thing that's happening now over the last few years is, is the, best, the best managers, the best professionals, um, you know, I say the best because they've, they've, they've changed their ways. Um, there's still a place, there's still a place for uh, a jacket in the, in the clubhouse, I guess. And, and, and some of that, some of those clubs work for tradition, mm. but others work because they just make you feel good to be yeah, it, it uh, rings a bell. Chris mentioned this in our last episode about um, the fact that, that you don't necessarily believe in discounts, but believe in adding more value. I don't know if you want to speak to that, but I, I really love that approach because I think it, 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 it emits confidence on, the, on behalf of the club, on behalf of the offering, on behalf of the experience. C can you tell me why you believe that? Or why is that so close to you as a form of belief? Well, first of all, you know, our members have paid a fee to be here. They paid a proper fee. Um, so membership should come with, with a lot more than just a little privilege or maybe an advanced tea time. So I don't believe in, in, in selling golf here for less than what my members going to pay uh, or their guests for that matter. Now, we do rely on outside play. We do want to expose our, our golf course and our facilities uh, to, the, to, the, to the avid golfer or the, or the interested party. But we have to do it in such a way in South Africa, especially, that can be affordable, but still uh, cover our costs. Mm. And so we're not the least expensive. We're certainly not the most expensive. So my way of trying to attract the South African trade in particular was to add value, was to, to make sure that because I signed the check um, for everything from food and beverage to fertilizer, mm. uh, at the end of the day, I also can receive a little income from everything from the fertilizer to the food and beverage. So we were honored this year to move up in, in one of the rankings. And in April, which can be a slower month, especially now with what we've gone through, we put a thing out there called five, number five. And we've carried on with a with a, a Thursday kind of promotion mm. that's that's it still carries a number that's a retail value, but it includes everything. Right. Uh, so you're going to have a food and beverage experience. You're going to have a golf experience. Uh, you're going to take a car or a bike, whatever you prefer. And, and hopefully you touch all of our bases before you leave. Absolutely. I've, I've got to bring up a point with you, uh, Jeff, that, that is, is not a nice one, but I've got to do it all the same. And it's your Santa burger, because ever since I've had that damn burger, I have never been fulfilled with anything else I've had in the Cape. And, um, you know, it's St. Francis is, is a fair way away from Cape Town. So um, thank you. But at the same time, you know, stuff you for that. <laughs> a rocket mama with bacon's not bad. It's a distant second. <laughs> Rob, Rob, when I came to this country, 
you know, you, you really do want to have something that you can call your own, but I've done it since my days in Texas. Mm. And instead of having Canadian bacon and Swiss cheese, uh, we now cut our own beef. We take the back of the, uh, the, the, the fat from the prime uh, and mix it. So it's got a little bit more going inside. Yeah. And, uh, and we serve it your way. <laughs> you certainly about, do. You certainly do. Big. Yeah. The, the bigger for me, the better, Jeff. So it's, uh, you're right up my alley there. I've, I've also got to ask you, you know, I see you as a very empathic person. And I think you've got to be like that to be, uh, to have customer service, customer experience at your, you know, in your, in your bones. But at the same time, you've managed to maintain a very, a very strong American accent. How is that, you know, I, I would have thought with someone like yourself, you would have molded yourself to, to the South African accent, but you've remained strong in, in every respect in terms of the, ac the accent. So talk to me about that. How was how that the case? <laughs> you know, it's funny when you, when you grew up in America, we pick up all the different accents from around the country, mm. you know, whether you're in Boston or New York or you come from Georgia. <laughs> I mean, we get all that, but and I realize that you sitting here can tell somebody's from Port Elizabeth and somebody's from Joey's and somebody's from Cape Town. Yeah. You can pick it up, and I can I can sort of pick it up. Mm. But but uh, I think you know, for as long as I'm going to listen to uh, "Green Light" by Matthew McConaughey, uh, narrated by Matthew McConaughey, yeah. it's still going to be all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's part and parcel of who you are. And I, it was asked sort of tongue in cheek, but I don't think it'll, it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff, I wanted to, to start unpacking and you spoke about Simon Sinek earlier. I certainly am a, a big follower of his as well. You know, you, you've always been and whether it's been intentional or not uh, is, is something I'd love to hear from you. But You've always managed to build a very inclusive culture in the places that you've worked you've worked in. What do you believe in when it comes to culture? And I think being purpose led, you you said earlier about you know why do we do certain things? Where do you see that the power of culture is in terms of 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 the golf environment or the club environment? And and is it something that you've been consciously trying to build from day one? Yeah, I think so because I think the hurdles. You know, I left America 30 years ago, and uh, the latest thing I've been listening to, you're not going to believe this, is, is, is eight podcasts with Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Wow. Talking about growing up in their worlds and, and how America has changed. And I don't think that, 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 I think one of the biggest hurdles I had here, obviously, was expecting a frontline person, a waitress to give me the same kind of service here, to give you the same kind of service that I would get if I went and had a, a night in a fine restaurant in Cape Town mm. uh, or Johannesburg. And we often, we often sit here and say, gosh, that was great service. That was really great service. Now, I don't mean this to sound bad, but when you're starting to look at, at the difference between who has and who hasn't, the who hasn't in America still have something sure who hasn't here have very little and many of those people work for me mm. with me and so i can't get over the fact that that we we want to provide the kind of anticipating service or enthusiasm from our people um and yet they haven't ever experienced it themselves unless it was a birthday party at the spur mm. you know so my whole belief is is that is that we've got to it's a silly thing we got to talk to each other and if if they don't get it if they don't get the like i said the why if they don't understand why we're serving something the way we are or why we're engaging or why we're greeting people before they greet us or why we try to diffuse something before it gets fused further hmm. well then we've lost the plot and and i don't think education has to be a, a, a deterrent uh, as long as people get to buy it. Yeah. And and I guess speaking again to what Simon Sinek's kind of view on, I don't know if you've read up much about the, the infinite versus the finite game, but, you know, he's a big proponent of this notion that, you know, we operate in an infinite uh, space being business mm. and you can't win business, right? And I believe in the same sense, you can't win a culture. You, you've got to keep on perpetuating it. You've got to keep on fueling it. Do you, do you think that's a big challenge for, for managers around the country and I guess around the world is, is the fact that 
it's not it's not a project it's not something you can give to someone and say go and go and win this it's it's something you got to work at all every day every day every day we fail because we could be we become complacent mm. um, i'll be the first to say that i probably do more for my guests than i do for my member sorry i sure. mean I, I, but in all fairness you know another another ally in this industry is is ian james who's who's gone down, gone up, and he's flying higher than a kite right now, in my opinion, with good advice. Mm. But, but you know, when we think about retaining the customer, uh, it's just as important as recruiting a customer. And and uh, our customer, well, my board, my board of directors, you know, may be all over the place, but my, my, my stakeholders, my shareholders live there and there and there and up here and over here, mm-hmm. and we see them every day. Um, so... Yeah, different game yeah. we're in. Yeah, I mean, it's we got to we got to roll with everything. It's it's it brings me on to that that question around of of I guess how one prioritizes what's most important is often what defines the good from the great in the sense that you know for for someone like a general manager or a CEO there's there's always going to be a fair amount on the plate but the question is what is most important and what's going to deliver the most value. Do you think that that is a challenge for many managers in terms of understanding or coming to terms of what is actually most important versus the assumption of what is most important? Uh, yeah, it's always what's on my front burner, what's on yours. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, an old thing from an American uh, management class I took, it's called inspect what you expect. Mm. And and if you don't go out and lift the seat on the golf cart, check the water and the batteries, why are they going to do it? Yeah. Um, you know, so so at the end of the day, um, I th- I think that 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 kind of that kind of thing for me makes a makes a big difference, and I know that every day when I think about what's important, I can't get stuck here, I cannot just park off here, mm. and answer mails and respond to questions and do this. I have got to walk through this place. I've got to get in a golf cart. I've got to go to the parking lot. I've got to walk through the kitchen in the morning when I get here. I've yeah. got to go to the accounts department. And 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 when it's I can't be everywhere all the time, but you've got to be at the right place at the right time. The yeah. old story. Yeah. You know, if it's fish Friday, then by golly, be up there for fish Friday and and see the folks. Yeah. Um sadly, I'm not a very big fan of meetings either. But mm. we do have to talk to each other. So, so I try to make sure in the course of the day that I have, I have talked to everybody I need to talk to. And, and I know we're not perfect, but in an earlier interview you did with Mike Leomace and his now third generation of his life, I got a <laughs> kick out of the fact that he would walk away from the table, take a phone call from a client. <laughs> if, if I did that with Liesl, she'd kill me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I must say, I, I was just thinking the same thing. You know, he must have a very understanding wife because if I, if I got off, if I walked away from supper at uh, eight o'clock at night to answer a call from a client, I think I'd be in the same boat as you, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, good, good on you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's obviously set the right environment, if nothing else. Yeah. But but Jeff, you know, I, I think again, I said earlier that I think you, you've got a naturally very empathic view about you. You understand the importance of communication, the importance of making someone feel significant in, in your team um, through, through that recognition that you provide, whether it's a, a simple greeting or a congratulations or a compliment, whatever it might be. I find that, and, and myself to, to an extent, also sometimes we get very, you know, one can get very stuck in your, in your own head and you can get stuck in what you need to do or, you know, what's going on from your perspective, your lens. Do you have any, have any advice as to how someone can kind of sh- make that shift from just thinking about what's happening from my perspective to kind of what's happening in the bigger picture? What's happening? Because, you know, I think you've always taken a wonderful view of from the outside looking in, even though you are in the, on the inside, if that makes sense. You can kind of see it from the customers walking into the front door rather than seeing it from behind the counter. Is, is that a natural, uh, you know, um, nat- natural trait of yours or is it, is it something you've always had to work on to, to make sure you're looking at it from all sides? Well, I've learned from a lot of good people. Some of the people I learned from are my own members. Mm. Um, and, and I realized that I made a note to myself that I want to make sure I said this somewhere along the way today. There's no doubt that I have a philosophy that says, if you win, I win. Mm. Um, that's hospitality. And for me to do that, 
I need to understand what your needs are mm-hmm. and what your wants are. So I've always said, you know, anticipate and be flexible to everyone's needs and wants. Um, and the flexibility might be the biggest key as well, because what we went through last year was very unsettling. Mm. I, I had to play cop and I'm not a very good cop. And, and it, you know, because we are sitting here with behind a, a, a gated community, as we call it, um, they had a few people that thought maybe because of that, they could do things that others couldn't. Mm. And, and it got messy, you know, in, in some cases. And, and I hated that. I flipping hated that. Mm. And, and it's, it's, it stayed with me, um, longer than I, than I thought it, that I thought it would. But, but, um, as I go forward, I know that if you are in a good space, if, if, if I've made every effort to try to anticipate your needs, if I've made every effort or my team has to, to try to, to try to exceed your expectations, not just meet your expectations, but exceed them. I mean, I was the last guy in the world to go to an automatic T-sheet because I truly believe we have to call you and, and we have to talk to you and we have to find about where you're going next and where you're coming from and where are you staying? So we still kind of have that factored in, but the members, what I found out when we went to the automatic T-sheet are now playing with more people than they had before. They can actually see who's playing. So even something as simple as that is, is an adjustment. Mm. And I certainly don't need, need to be blind to that. I mean, sure. change, change just has to be north wind. Yeah. And the only time we goof it properly, and we've done it, we did it right here. Oh, yeah, we put in a speed camera, and we didn't make it clear enough to people as to why we've done it, even though they asked for it for the last 10 years. They asked for it for people to slow down. Mm. But we didn't north wind it enough. And, hell, I took a raft of crap for that. <laughs> guess yeah. what everybody slowed down <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's a it's an old saying of and i think i said it in the previous episode but it's, change is always uh, messy in the beginning or difficult in the beginning and messy in the middle but sort of beautiful at the end eventually when everyone kind of comes around but it certainly isn't a isn't an easy process to to get there I, i'm also curious you know you've you've managed to and it's never easy it's never a, a, an easy sale but you've managed to get buy-in from a lot of different stakeholders over your career. You've managed to, I mean, no, nothing is ever going to be, n- nobody's always going to be in agreement every second of the day, but you've managed to get it right more often than you get it wrong. What, what have you, what have you done to achieve that? What is, what has been your kind of secret source? If there is one to, to get even the people with the, the greatest egos or the, or the most, you know, you know, the highest sense of self to, to be willing to kind of take the road with you. Take time to listen. Pretty simple. Yeah. You know, I think we're all trying to say something and I certainly want to make my point clear or whatever. And my, maybe my greatest failing is that I should be the last to speak. You know, somebody made that comment somewhere along the way. And I think sometimes to sit in the front of the class or be the first to speak is not always the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find that when you've heard three or four different comments before it's your time to talk, you'll probably mold that answer a little better than if you just shot from the hip. Sure. So, so I think a lot of what we've gained and what we've done right is because we've listened to what people want mm-hmm. and no more, no more, no more relevant than what we are right here, right now. Um, there's certain things you have to do. You can't just start the meeting and say, okay, folks, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, I got I got smacked by one of my members afterwards. And I wanted to walk out. You wanted to have this open meeting. And you wanted us to all tell you what we thought. But at the end of the day, you needed to guide us through that. <laughs> I was like, okay. Sure. So there's, there's different ways of listening. But at the end of the day, um, um, I think it's probably the most valuable thing. You've got a, you got a wealth of talent around you. Mm. And, and every now and then, it's not. don't be afraid to pick up a phone, call somebody and say, ooh, I'm stuck. And yeah. I'm not afraid to do that. It, it reminds me of that that old notion that um, you know you can't deliver a great experience, whatever the experience is, without the right information. You 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 cannot. You got to collect the dots in order to connect the dots. And I've always admired you for that in the sense that I think whether it's the questions that you ask, whether it's your natural perception of people, you've always sought first to collect before connecting. 
Because I think if you collect, if you connect too fast, you make too many assumptions. And I think that's where, as you alluded to in those meetings, for, for example, when your answer comes too quickly, you know, it might be the wrong answer because you haven't taken the time to truly understand or read between the lines even, if that makes sense. And that's why my team in particular, we challenge each other. Mm. It's good. I didn't hire a bunch of yes people here. Yeah. The people around me are all the people who they are because they're the best at it. Uh, my financial manager is the, is the best in the game. Mm. Not because he's a, he's a good accountant, but he also understands the estate. He understands the business. He understands the why. Uh, yeah. The guy who oversees all my, all my grass uh, from the front entrance to the, the 18th green is one guy mm. with, with a, a two teams under it. Sure. Um, Liesl, Liesl's got her, her uh, expertise in her areas. And then I've got a young guy, Kevin, uh, who's all my services. So my role's changed a little bit in the last few years. Thank goodness. Uh, uh, I need more. And, and, and uh, I, th I think as we go on, you know, if we don't keep giving people a challenge in front of them, they're going to get bored. They're going to, they're not going to stay focused. You would get up every morning. You're going to think to yourself, how am I going to make today better than yesterday? You know, what am I going to do today? It's going to make somebody happy. Um, and fortunately that's the business side. Yeah. I just love the, except today, I mean, we're closed. It was one of those COVID things. We made a decision to let our members play on Mondays and mm -hmm. reduce our staff. Uh, and it's just one of those decisions we took that saved us a million rand right off the top mm -hmm. uh, by adjusting our, our payroll burden, our payroll. But uh, I don't have anybody walking up and waving at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you preferred when there's a, when, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's Chris said this a couple of um, weeks ago, but you know, during lockdown when there, uh, when there was nobody at the club and the and the staff were there helping out, just doing some maintenance and things, the place feels like a completely different environment. And I guess it's, it echoes the fact that it's the people that create the, the atmosphere, the energy, not the, not the bricks and mortar. You know, you know, you know, Rob, I just, I'm going to take a break from our subject for a second. I just had almost three weeks and 3,500 Ks driving from here in the Eastern Cape up to the West Coast, all the way up to Sutherland and down to Potanosta, Cape Town, back through Montague. And every, every day, it was the people I met. And in most cases, I was the foreign language, as you probably would be aware. And <laughs> if I didn't have a brandy and Coke, it probably wasn't the drink of choice. But, but, <laughs> but everywhere I went, from little cafe to Podstall, to, to, to just meeting somebody as we walked on the beach. Um, you know, it's the people of this country that make it so very, very special. Mm. But this is one beautiful country. Yeah. You know, years ago, South Africa was, I think the, the theme for tourism was a world in one country. Well, shoot parts. Ask me why I've been here for 30 years. And, and uh, I just think it's, it's so worth fighting for, this great South Africa yeah, Jeff, it, it's it's amazing to hear you say that. And it, it, to be honest with you, it shouldn't take, well, you, you're one of us now, but it shouldn't take someone who is originally from across the, the borders to realize what a what an incredible place we, we have. It's it's that typical syndrome that we always fall into. You know, the more time you spend in one place, the less you, you realize how special it, it, it really is. Um, and I often find this with frontline staff, you know, when, they, when they're working in a, in a beautiful club, they stop realizing where they work and they take it as for granted. And I think we're all guilty of that to some extent, but it's it's an interesting challenge to face because how do you keep someone, how do you refresh their mind? How do you get them to be grateful for the place that they work in? And I think it sounds like a trip around the, uh, the coastline is the way to do that. You know, I'm going to go back. I'll try to be quick with this. When I was at Fancourt, I told you we took the housekeepers out on golf carts. I think they had more fun trying to drive them than anything. But, <laughs> but it was back then at Fancourt that I realized very early on uh, this point of the, that I'm, I have people working with me, under me, for me, whatever, that have never experienced the things I have. Mm. You know, I've been blessed to have seen as much as I have and met who I have and associated with the people I have. So it's up to me to actually get them together in a room and say, you know, these are the things that make us special. Yeah. When I look at somebody here from St. Francis Bay or Humansdorp or Sea Vista, and I say, just take that day to get to Cape St. Francis and sit on those rocks and watch that sunset and understand there is no more beautiful place in the world than right here. Yeah. The air is not any cleaner anywhere else. 
The land is not any more fertile than it is right here. The, the, the gift of this space. And this is for people who haven't gone past Humansdorf. You know, maybe they got to East London to, to family, but they sure as heck never saw Paris. Yeah. And 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 then I then I try to explain to them that that where they are and what they have here, what's been built is special. But I always finish the conversation by saying they are the key ingredient for us. Yeah. And the reason that people come here and they want to come back is because they've been treated right. It 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 just leads me to that notion that i think we we spend so much of our days and our lives wondering what the next thing is rather than being conscious about what what the here and now is and i think maybe what you've done over the last couple of weeks has been able to press pause and just get that perspective again of what has already been achieved or what what we have rather than what we're looking for and i think that's a great message to anyone listening to this is sometimes you just got to be able to press pause and just reflect a little bit and just think of what what, what you have you, you've spoken a lot about Liesl already as your um as your your, your partner in crime and i i use the the equivalent of roger federer in my questions to you before the fact as i know that you both have a, a soft spot for for roger um i just wanted to unpack that a little bit further because not only do i believe that you are worth every bit of every grain of salt in terms of what you've achieved individually, but you've also been able to surround yourself with the right people from Re- from Liesl through, throughout your team. And whenever I've been to visit you, I've always been impressed by not just the skill set of the people that you have, given the, the, the places that you've been working in, but also just the nature of the person. And I, and I wanted to know from you, what is it that you look for in a human being, whether it's your partner, whether it's uh, someone on the floor. Whether it's, is there any traits or any specific elements of of character that you find are are so important to you? When you mentioned Liesl, and you set you set that in front of me, I wrote supportive, critical, driven about my wife, and and I think when it comes to to hiring people, yeah, it's it really is. It really is kind of too overused to say hire the talent, teach the skills. You gotta have the skills. But but the enthusiasm goes miles and miles and miles. You know, if somebody has got the drive to want to be better, to want to keep learning, you know, I commented now because I think when Chris opened up his his podcast with you, he says, I was young and hungry enough not yeah. to be worried that I could make the big mistake. I responded on LinkedIn. I wrote, well, if I didn't know when I was born, I wouldn't know how old I am. (laughs) So I think I'm still hungry. (laughs) And and I, and I think when it comes to hiring people and the people I want around me is, is they've got to still be fired up. Mm. And I can tell you the push pause. I have never come back more excited than I am right now. Mm. We've got three months ahead of us of things that we've pushed back. I mean, in two weeks' time is my is my member guest. It is almost doubly subscribed to any member guest we've had before. Fantastic. We can't have the evening functions, but I got 160 people coming here to play morning and afternoon and separate them and do all the spacing right. The next week, we've got the Lynx Cup with the Ryder Cup, and we've now been given the letter of intent that we're going to have the PGA Championship for the next three years. Fantastic. Uh, and that's the second oldest tournament in this country. Now, granted, that's all golf-based. But at the same time, we're finishing a new water treatment plant, and we've just upgraded our lifting stations, and we've just fertilized and spring-programmed our golf course, and it's going to be fantastic. So I'm, I'm totally pumped up. Yeah, I, I don't think age is, 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 the, is the issue, Jeff. I think you, you've, you look like you've got more energy than, uh, than you've ever had, or at least since I've known you. So that's, that's wonderful to see. I, I think the lesson there for, for everyone is, is trying to find some kind of a balance between really putting your head into whatever you're doing and taking that break. Because if I may say, I don't think you'd be as pumped up if you hadn't had that chance just to press pause. There's no doubt. And can I tell you what, the, the young guys we hire today, are much different than your dad and mine, and maybe me, uh, in that that they recognize that there is more to it than than just being here. Hmm. And and yet I grew up the the open to close guy. You hmm. know, I grew up the Sunday Mondays off when everybody else went back to work. And and I see it now. One of my one of my young pros, Chris 
Christo Kringle, they've just had a baby boy, mm-hmm. bless their hearts, uh, last week. Uh, another one of my young guys just got married, and he's he's off again. And and Tinas has got Tinas has got two young ones up and coming, and he, he's busting his chops to just make ends meet. Mm-hmm. You know, in this in this game, it's it's expensive in this country yeah. to try to live. But 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 I just know that. Uh, I start talking about my staff and forget all about what I was supposed to. Ask. But at the end of at the end of the day, I just know one thing that that the people are different now, and we've got to respect that. The, the hire the person to do the job, make sure he understands what you expect, mm. and make sure it's measurable. And I realize that's sometimes hard because I said I don't like meetings, so we meet as a group once a week. We meet as exco once a week, although I meet my people every day. Mm. Um, but I need I need my my young folks to be able to go home and mm. to have time off and to have that. You know, we find that in our industry, we don't even have any friends outside our own our own team. Mm. It's the only people we see sometimes. That's a bit tricky. Yeah, I mean, you, you truly, I suppose in this industry, one truly does have two families, one being, you know, the real family and the other one being your work family. And I think Tony Robbins has always said that what he tries to do is live an immersive lifestyle where the one becomes the other to some extent. And I think what you've done, been able to achieve with Liesl is you followed a similar path. You know, your, your work and and your and your family have essentially almost become one thing to some extent. And, and I think it's also the reason why you're so respected is because, you know, you treat people as if they were your family. And, you know, that goes an immeasurable way to what how people see their leader. Um, I wanted to, to ask you, one of the best things that I've ever done is your your Dorney Patrol, uh, you know, best 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 way to start a day because, you know, there's nothing better in my mind than, than being able to play golf to start every day, to be honest with you. But- um, Only Fridays, it's only Fridays. <laughs> there in comes the balance then again. Um, but I wanted to ask you, how important is it to stay in touch with the game? And I ask that question with the the view of the, the, the general manager, the golf manager, whoever it might be listening to this, that have a lot on their plate from an operational perspective and don't always necessarily get the time to stay in touch with the game, albeit that I believe that you make your own time when it comes to what you really love, to some extent like to at least. How, how important is it for you to stay in touch with the game? Well, I'll quote an old friend, John Mitchell. My 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 future's behind me when it comes to golf. My good my good future, hmm. um, and it's been an adjustment um, to to not be able to 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 live up to what you once could do. Even though I was probably better than average at best, uh, I was never a tour player. I always wanted to share the game, um, but but you know you you bring a point within the point. And that is that if the people on your team or maybe the people above you, let's say you're the director of golf and you've got a CEO or a GM above you and they don't play golf, well, by golly, you better get them on a golf cart uh, or get them to the putting green. Have your next meeting instead of in his room or your room or the or the halfway house, go stand on the putting green, show them how to putt, mm. um, take your shoes off. You know, at the end of the day, if we're going to be in this industry, We've got to embrace every element of it. I mean, I I certainly got my head around food and beverage, and I certainly got my head around the finance. Um, But if I had people on my team that didn't understand the core element of this this estate, the golf course, I mean, that picture behind you, that's not doctored. It actually looks better than that. It might be a Grant LaVersa picture, which is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, 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 but I think you get my point. Mm. Um, um, I think, it, and I've, I've had this discussion recently. I mean, I could name clubs, but I won't. Where, where the problem that they had between them is that they didn't understand each other. Mm. They, didn't, they didn't understand what, what, what they were working with. Yeah. I mean, how are you going to improve CapEx if you don't know what the machine does? You know? Yeah, again, that empathy, I think, to understand the bigger picture, um, cheap as it goes a long way, I, I would assume, when it comes to the, making the big decisions of where that CapEx goes, etc. I, I wanted to ask you quickly, and maybe it's a, a, a form of summing up what we've been speaking about, but, you know, looking at the CEOs of the, of the future in, in this industry, 
what would you say to someone who's coming up the ranks who's going to fulfill that role in the next five ten years where would you say their focus needs to be i suppose from a skill set perspective but from a from a psychological perspective as well where, where, do, where do they need to be focusing on well geez even when i was supposedly just a golf professional we wore so many hats mm. i mean we were everything from a psychologist to a babysitter but uh, uh you know i i don't think you can i don't I, I do believe specialization is, 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 is important, is a key, that if you can separate yourself from the rest, you know, I like to think of myself as an all-rounder because I've come up from the bottom. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't enter this game as a CEO. I entered this game parking carts and cleaning shoes mm. uh, and refurbishing clubs in the winter months. Um, so that was a long time ago. And a lot of guys come into this and they hit the ground running. But, you know, I got a valuable member of my team that's going to be a a CEO one day or a director of golf, and he can take every golf cart here apart and put it back together again. Well, when you're sitting there with a fleet of three or four million rands worth of golf carts that also produce an income for you, that's kind of an important thing. Mm. So, you know, my feeling is that if you want to sit in this chair one day, you better have touched all the bases. And, and that means agronomy, that means finance, that means food and beverage, um, that means human resources. Uh, it's understanding uh, the law of the land, so to speak. Mm. Uh, um, I mean, we sit in situations every day because we're in a state that involves rules, uh, which is, you know, you still got to understand it. I mean, I've always said to be a good golf professional, you got to play the game, you got to teach the game, and you got to understand the rules of the game. I don't need somebody walking to the golf shop and you're going, uh, duh, uh, duh. I really don't know. You've got to answer that. You've got to be an expert. So hmm. I think if you choose, and I think it's a fabulous line of work, you know, unless you don't like people. I, I meet a few along the way that say, you know, I'm really good with the numbers. I'm, I'm, I really get my head around the numbers. In other words, you don't like people. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also I, love the numbers. I also love the numbers, but I can't be sitting here stuck behind this desk all day. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a wonderful answer, Jeff. I, I think to to further your point there, you can be brilliant in terms of the spreadsheets and you know the balances and things like that. But at the end of the day, what is value? Why do people want to be members of clubs? Why do they choose to come back? What is it that connects them to that culture? And I think you've said it perfectly. It's people. So it's your quality time parts. I don't care if you come here and you can pay for this place. You might be able to, you might drive in in the most expensive car in the world. You could be my toughest customer because you don't want to rake a bunker because that's what we do. Mm. But, but you could also be the guy who just saved up. You've waited, geez, you planned this trip for two years to come and now it's windy. Well, I better do the best I can to make sure that day goes better. Anyway. Uh, absolutely. I am. Um... I wanted to, to jump across to what we call our quick fire questions. And I'm very excited to hear your answers to these because we've had, uh, we've had Dale Hayes answer these questions. We've had uh, Chris Bentley answer these questions. And, and I think you, it'll be interesting to see where you, where you sit in comparison you, to at least of those two. Are you referring to the American? <laughs> I, I think I've got, I've got a good idea of what the answers might be, but let's, uh, let, let's, let's hear them none, nonetheless. So first question, and I'm going to ask you just to answer them as quickly as you can without thinking about them too much. Uh, the next South African to win a major. You're You can play one or the other for the rest of your life. Parkland or Lynx. You really want me to answer that? <laughs> I don't need trees. Trees are just nets on the side of a good Lynx course. <laughs> Should have known. The most impactful or influential golf course in the world? St. Andrews. What's influential, big? Influential, you know, you could name it, you could probably throw Augusta in there, but, but I think that the world revolves around St. Andrews. What's bigger, the Open or the Masters? If I had a green jacket, I could go back there every year for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you can even either if they don't even if they don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be hard to tell patrick he can't come <laughs> yeah i don't know if that was such a popular victory but we'll leave it at that <laughs> no the most unpopular victory in life was Stuart sink being beating tom watson in the office. oh I, that I'll, one broke my heart i'll never forget that one yeah I I lis actually listened to an interview with with Stuart Sink quite recently about that, and yeah, I think he's even he kind of felt a little bit bad. But uh, <laughs> what can you do? So, next one. So you can either drive it like Bryson or put it like Faxon. Um, I've never driven it like Bryson, nor will I. And and if anything, we all know that this weekend or the last two weeks, Patrick Cantley won the golf tournament with the blade. Mm-hmm. There you go. So who's the real goat, Tiger or Jack? Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholas, Jack Nicholas. Most wins, most seconds, most top fives, longest career, best guy. Sorry. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. The best run tournament you've ever played in or attended? Ryder Cup, Glen Eagles, Ryder Club Cup, Paris. Ryder Cup Paris was was so easy and so well done. I mean, you can actually sit in the grass here and you can follow the play-by-play -play and have a big screen somewhere. Mm -hmm. Whereas normally, when you're in a live golf tournament, you 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 can't see anything. In Augusta, you only have a roar. I'm fortunate mm -hmm. that in 2012, I was there to see Bubba take it away from Louis. But 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 the Ryder Cup, the whole venue, the feel, the the story. I mean, even the Solheim Cup this weekend is has got a little vibe for mm. the ladies. But uh, I think Ryder Cup Paris is one of the greatest events I've ever seen. I've got to ask you what what was that first tee like with that with that grandstand oh. behind? You could ask Ben this too. We were sitting beside each other. I saw. We uh, we were at the top of the grandstand behind the first tee. We went up to the top on purpose because you could see everything. Mm. And now there's probably eight thousand people there in that one stand alone, which also forms the 18th, which oh. is where the closing ceremony was, which mm. was brilliant. But across the way, you know, 500, 600 meters away was the, was the 18th, was the, and, and, uh, and the second. And all of a sudden you get from under us, Rory. And from the other side, Rory. Oh, Lord. oh goosebumps, <laughs> goosebumps as I tell you. <laughs> oh, and those guys know how to sing hey? oh yeah oh yeah they're all there so last question your all time four ball including yourself can be deceased or still living it's all the people who molded me really my first my first hero was Arnold Palmer um, my second and I didn't like him at first because he beat Arnold Palmer was Jack Mr. Nicholas the big man um, my favorite, because it was probably a little younger, was Tom Watson. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just thought he was such a fighter and always played aggressive. So I, these are guys from the, from the past. Mm. You know, I've been fortunate to play with Ernie and Louie and Mr. Player and Retief, and the, you know, since I've been here. And you must appreciate that when I say I'm American, you hear it. But I'm really South African when it comes to rooting for these guys. And mm. and. I'm really proud of them. I'm proud of the Eric Van Royans, and I'm mm. I'm proud of the uh, the Louis. But I'm also proud of the guys that are coming up. And uh, so it's just been a privilege for me to to have had the opportunity to play with these great people. But uh, I didn't get to play with those three. Mm. I did get to play Pine Valley, and I did have Tom Watson walk me to the first tee, which was a bit spooky. Um, <laughs> that I, I actually didn't know that you've played Pine Valley. I, I'm going to do. A, I'm going to ask you for another episode just on that one because uh, well, <laughs> that just looks you. incredible from from the pictures. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Right down to the turtle soup. Right down to the little brandy that's on the table that you put in your soup before you go play, just to settle the nerves. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to have to get you back for another episode to <laughs> to unpack that one hole by hole, Jeff. <coughs> Thanks so much for for your time as always. Uh, I, yeah, I, as I said, I've I've got about another forty five or fifty questions that I I would love to ask you, but um, hopefully we can do that in a in a future episode. And and lastly, just to acknowledge, I think from literally every person in the industry, um, 
it's amazing to have someone around who can set the tone when it comes to what is really the most important of what we do. I don't believe we're in the golf industry serving people. I think we're in the people industry using golf as a as a way to connect. Spot on. And I I, I hope that well I took a chance and I, I believe that you believe the same thing. But um, I think what you've what you've preached to the industry for a while now is the reason why we have a business. And yeah, I just want to convey my gratitude for you to you for that and i think also the fact that you've made many more people become members of golf clubs as a result of that because they connect with the what what is at the club not just the the greens or the fairways so thank you for that and i hope that this is not our last podcast interview because as i said i certainly have a few more questions for you well in a room with Lizo, she always gets the last word but i'm in a room with you so i just like to say that, that um, you know, if people haven't taken the time to go into your website, go into RCA, see the podcasts, and even if it's, even if it's, it's, it's download them, listen to them in your car. I, I love this stuff. And a lot of guys drive to work. A lot of guys are driving an hour a day in the uh, to work. So, so pick it up and get motivated by some of the people you've had. It's been an honor for me. Uh, I really look forward to it. I was anxious and, uh, and I'm glad we did it. <laughs>